Good morning. And by the way, this sermon, um, Doug and I had lunch together, oh, just a little bit ago, and we were talking about what I would do this morning since we are off the subject of the Gospel of John for a couple of weeks. And this seemed to fit, this subject seemed to fit very well with what he had done in John chapter 8 two weeks ago. And I'm sure you remember all the details, right? John 8, 31 to 38, particular verse 31, in which Jesus said, you are truly disciples of mine if you continue to abide in my word. You remember that. This also fits in with what we've been doing in the uh, seminar courses on Sunday morning with what Troy has been doing and what Dan will be in next week. This is probably more in the area of sanctification, which Dan will be picking up, but Troy touched on it as well today. The, the sermon is entitled, The Fruit of Genuine Faith. The Fruit of Genuine Faith. And I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look in just a moment at verse 13 to 21. Before we read this, I want to remind you that the Scriptures plainly teach that we are saved, brought into a right relationship with our Lord by grace alone, that's the source, through faith alone, that's the means, in Christ alone, that's the basis. That's what salvation is about. Evangelical believers have always believed this since the days of the Reformation when they parted from the Roman Catholic Church. They have believed it and they have proclaimed it to this very day. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. However, I think there's one thing that many evangelicals, even to this day, might be surprised about, might cause them to just stop and, and ponder. And that is this, that the Scriptures teach when it comes to the faith that saves, there are really two different kinds taught in the Bible. One kind that truly saves us from the wrath of God and brings us into a right relationship to Him. And another faith, another kind of faith, which really isn't faith at all, but it's more of an intellectual grasp, an intellectual assent to the Scriptures. And I think it's crucial that we understand as evangelicals the important distinction between the faith that saves and the faith that comes short. The intellectual faith that comes short of saving faith. And this text, probably as much as any in Scripture, kind of focuses our attention on it. Look at it with me. Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 13. Jesus is speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, 
and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter in it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the rotten tree bears bad fruit. A good tree a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a rotten tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, and notice these words, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. By the way, that's a quote from the Psalms, and it's a quote from Psalm 6, verse 8, which David, who is the father of Christ, humanly speaking, David is the one who received the promise about Christ coming, and David wrote these words, Depart from me, all you who do iniquity. Jesus is referring back to this psalm and the words of David. And he's saying there's coming a day where those have e who have even said, Lord, Lord, haven't we, haven't we followed you? Didn't we, didn't we cast out demons in your name? And he will say, depart from me, I never knew you because you did not do the will of my Father. You practiced iniquity. How, how could that possibly be? Someone who thinks they're, they've responded by grace through faith in Christ, and yet that very Christ will tell them on the final day of judgment, depart from me. This is probably one of the most sobering texts in all of Scripture. And if it hasn't caused you to stop and ponder when you read it, it ought to. It does me. Even this morning as I was praying and getting ready, I thought, Lord, I want to be aware of this text, and I want to consider it, and I want your Spirit to speak to me about it because it's so poignant. But it talks about two different kinds of faith, a faith that saves, that produces godly fruit, 
ongoing fruit, spiritual fruit, and some kind of a faith that falls short. And it doesn't produce anything except bad fruit, rotten fruit, or no fruit at all. James says in James chapter 2.14, in the epistle that bears his name, What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works? What use is that? Can that faith save him? You see, here's one thing we learn right up front. Spiritual fruit, good deeds, and good works are all the same. James is talking about the same thing that the Lord is talking about. Martin Luther had trouble with James chapter 2. He shouldn't have because Jesus said the same thing and Paul said the same thing all over his epistles. Saving faith, saving faith will bear fruit that turns around and gives evidence that the faith that you have is genuine. If a tree bears no fruit, it's not a fruit tree. Cut it down and get rid of it. Quit wasting your time. Stop putting fertilizer on it. Right now, the, the neighbors who live across the street from us, I notice this when we walk in the mornings, they have a big tree out front and it's dead. I had a tree out front last year that's no longer there because it showed up last year dead. I cut it down and did away with it. I'm, I'm assuming my neighbor will do the same very soon. It's kind of sad to see a tree sitting there where you've planted it and you've nurtured it and you wanted something good, but there's nothing now. It's dead. It's dead. So this morning we want to talk about this area of fruit bearing. Let me even just give you this little illustration to, as we get into this. I've only been on a cruise ship one time out of Seattle up to Alaska. I'm not a big fan. I'm, I'm an Air Force guy, not a Navy guy. Sorry, Bob. But uh, the cruise was nice. It was okay. But on, on this uh, cruise, one of the first things that I really sort of made me not crazy about it, was they said the first hour or two we're on is, you've got to meet at your lifeboat. We're having drills. And I went, we don't do that on airplanes. I mean, you know, they tell you where the exits are, tell you where the life raft is, but we don't have drills on lifeboats. But we had to go meet with the lifeboat crew from our room. We were assigned. And then we had to go through the drill. If the alarm sounds... This alarm sounds, you, are to re you hear it, you identify it, you report here, we're giving you life vest, you get on this boat, and we're lowering you into the water. And I go, what? That's not what I paid for on this cruise. So anyway, the theologians tell us that there are three Latin words that will design, define saving faith. You don't have to remember these. In fact, there will be some notes on the web. Maybe they'll be there. Maybe they won't next week. 
The three words are notitia, ascensia, ascensus, and fiducia. And the theologians, for instance, in Burkhoff's one-volume theology, you can find a whole page or two when he defines these Latin words in terms of saving faith. The first one, again, is notitia. So, for instance, let's go back to the cruise ship. Notitia would be, I'm in my room and the alarm goes off. There's a danger on the ship. And there might even be a message that comes be beyond the alarm telling us to report. So notitia is noting what you hear. It's, it has to do with knowledge. It's identifying, okay, I heard the alarm and I've got the announcement. The second word is a census. You assent to what you hear. You go, you process, and you go, okay, I've been through that drill. I know what he said about that alarm, that that's serious. And then I just heard the voice. I assent that that's true. That's true. But then there's the third word, fiducia. And fiducia means that I have heard it, I've noted it, I've assented to it that this seems valid to me, and so therefore, I better head to that lifeboat. That's fiducia. That's acting on what you have heard. And saving faith has all three of those elements. If you don't, you, you can note that you heard the alarm and the voice, you can assent that this is probably true, but if you don't get up, get out of your room, get out on the deck of the ship and make your way to the lifeboat, you will not be saved. And the sad part is that there are people, when it comes to the gospel message, who have heard the truth. And it's, they've gotten it, they've gotten the message. I'm a sinner. There is a Savior. And, and, and the facts have taken place. They have assented to it. They said, you know, I know myself. I, I, I am lost. And I'm seeing that this message says this is the way to salvation. But they missed the third part. Saving faith has fiducia. It means there's going to be a response. It means that I'm getting up from where I am, I'm turning from that, I'm turning to Him, and I'm resting in Him, and I'm trusting Him, and all of that is made possible because the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart to perform new birth. To perform new birth. And you follow Christ. And you listen to him, and you get into his word, and the spirit begins to put fruit into your life. And it grows, and it grows, and it grows. You do good deeds. You turn from the old ones. You do good works. That's why James will say, can the faith that does not issue forth in response and good works be saving faith? Can that faith save anyone? No, there's, there's a couple of different kinds of faith here. One is saving and one is not. So here's what we're going to quickly do. And I say quickly in pastoral speak. 
Um, I'm looking at my watch, but we, we've got several points to cover here. Several points to cover to talk about biblical fruit. First of all, its source. Where does it come from? Its nature. What's it look like? Its necessity. Really? Is it necessary that believers produce fruit, say, uh, spiritual fruit? And then after that, we'll look at its means. What does God give us to help us produce that fruit? Think of it this way. A farmer knows that the seed, that the life is in the seed that he puts in the ground. And he knows he's got to put it in good ground. But he also knows if he's going to be a, a good farmer and have the best kind of crop that he can, he's got to, he's, there's some means that God has entrusted into his hands too. Like insect spray, like irrigation systems, if he's in a drier part of the country like here, or fertilizer. There are some means, some biblical means that we are to apply if we are to bear fruit. So that's where we want to go. So let's get started. The first is the source of spiritual fruit. Doug talked about this two weeks ago when he went to Romans 6, 1 to 7. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. God forbid. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? And Paul goes on in those verses to say that when Christ died, by the work of the Spirit, we died with Him. We died to sin. And when Christ came forth from the grave, the Spirit of God, working mightily and powerfully, aligned us with His resurrection so that we were raised to newness of life in the Spirit. We are spiritual beings. We are new creatures in Christ. And Paul goes on to say in that passage, we have a new man. The old man is gone so that our bodies might be rendered powerless over us in the future, that we might walk, that we might walk with Christ by the power of the Spirit. But here's another. In the very next chapter, in Romans, in Romans chapter 7, verse 4 and following, listen to these words about the role of the Spirit as the source of spiritual fruit in our lives. Paul says, therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit for God. Did you get that? We've been raised so that we might what? Bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that, by which we were bound so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of the letter. The source of spiritual fruit in the life of a believer is the Spirit of God. 
who's given us new life, all based on the death and resurrection of Christ. He's given us new life. We are a new creature in the inner man. And then he has even come in to indwell us at that level. He lives within us. And he lives there to produce spiritual fruit. To live a life that's like Christ. To live a life that's pleasing to him. We're to work it out in fear and trembling, but he works in us the Scripture says, to both will and to do of His good pleasure. So the second question is, well, what does this fruit look like? What, what should I look, look for in my life? Probably the classic section to go to would be Galatians 5, to 26. Listen to this section, Paul again, the writer. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience. By the way, when you're driving in the streets of Colorado Springs, think of these verses. Peace and patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Now, the danger is, is you might think, well, that's all. That's, there's just eight different kinds of fruit. That's it? Well, that's not so bad, eight. Well, let's just take the first one. Love. If you did a little bit of word study on that agape love, you would find that Jesus says the two greatest commandments, which give a summary of all the commandments, are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And all the other commandments are in those, if you love me and love one another as you ought to. That's just the first fruit that he mentions. Fairly encompassing, isn't it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your neighbor, as you do yourself. In Ephesians 5, 9 and 10, we also find something more about fruit. He, here Paul says, the fruit of the light, that is, God is light, and the fruit of God consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Wow. And there's two other passages, which I won't take time to read, Philippians 1, 9 through 11, and Colossians 1, 9 to 12, which tell us that the nature of fruit is everything that is godly. My one word for it is Christ-likeness. The fruit of the Spirit is to be like Christ, to be conformed to his image, to think the way that Christ thought, to act the way that Christ thought, to treat others the way that Christ treated them. It's Christ's likeness. It's to be like him. Well, what about the third thing, the necessity of spiritual fruit? Is it really, does it really accompany saving faith? Does it really reveal that my faith has been real 
And the answer in Scripture is emphatically yes. Yes, it does. In John 15, 8, listen to these words. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. There in that passage, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. You can't do anything apart from me. So he says, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. How many of you have heard of Bill Gothard? Okay, a lot of hands. He was around years ago, even back when I was in seminary, he was holding conferences. He used to say, if you want to know you're a Christian, if you want proof that you're a Christian, think back to the day in which you trusted Christ. Maybe even go back where you did and plant a stake there. This is where I believe. That's going to give you proof. Well, that might help. But what Jesus said in John 15 verse 8 is, by this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Do you want proof that you are a spiritual tree? Do some fruit inspection. Look at what's there. See what's in your life. Look at what the Spirit is saying to you and what the Spirit is doing in your life. Is there love, joy, peace, long-suffering? Am I becoming more like Christ? Or am I getting shorter with people around me? Am I getting to the place where I, I don't seem anything like Him, but I have this intellectual understanding of what He did? Listen to this section out of Jude. Jude, um, beginning with verse 10. But these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals. By these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the air of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These men are those who are hidden reefs in your love feasts, that is, communion meals, your love feasts, when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Autumn trees without fruit. How do I prove? How do I prove to myself? How do I show the world? Why would somebody ask a reason of the hope that is within me? They'd have to see some fruit. They'd have to ask because they see something in my life, something in the way I speak, something in the way I act, something in the way I treat people that would cause them to say, I notice you're different. What is it? What made you that way? He did. He did it. He's the one through regeneration and new life gave me saving faith. 
And saving faith issues forth in spiritual fruit. You see, a good apple tree won't bear pears. I can remember my Greek professor at Dallas Seminary um, when I was taking a class from him on the book of Romans and he was going through it. He used an illustration about a man who went to the store and bought a package of seed for a red crimson glory rose, or I guess that would be a bulb. It shows you what I know about gardening. Um, And he planted it, and he fertilized it, and he watered it. And when it came up, guess what? It was yellow. It was yellow. And he got the package out, and he looked at it, and he said, it says a red crimson glory rose here. It must be a red crimson glory rose. My eyes must be bad. No, it wasn't, it wasn't that his eyes were bad. It was a yellow rose. The label was wrong. That's why you see the Lord in Matthew 7 saying to these, they had the label. They said, Lord, Lord. And he said, depart from me. I don't know you. You don't have spiritual fruit. You don't do the things that please my Father. Spiritual fruit is absolutely necessary. If I have an apple tree, there might be an occasional bad apple or two on it. Pick them off. My son in Pennsylvania lives right across the road from a large apple farm. And when Ann and I are there visiting, we walk in that area and we look at all these apple trees. Now, if we notice one out there that's bare, guess what? The farmer's not going to leave it there. He cuts it down. He plants something, another apple tree there that will produce apples. Good apple trees produce apples. Rotten apple trees don't. And good apple trees do not produce oranges. So the whole illustration of bearing spiritual fruit, that it's an absolute necessity. In fact, I would say it is the one serious, solid, tangible proof that we have that we can look at and we can evaluate our own lives and we can evaluate others who claim to know Christ. Are you bearing fruit? Is that fruit growing? Well, then comes the means of fruit in the Scripture. Oh, shoot, we've got plenty of time here. Um, I'm trying to hurry along, and I... So, we'll get there. The means of spiritual fruit. What, what has God provided us to help? There are seven areas of Scripture that mention seven different means that God has given us to help with fruit production. And here's the issue. If you know them and you don't apply them, your fruit production, even if you have genuine faith, is going to be little. Do you remember the parable of the sower and the seed? Even the good ground, some produce 30-fold and some 60-fold and some 100-fold. Some were maxing it out. Some were not. Some evidently were not applying, even in the good soil, those means that God has given us. Well, here are the means. 
Here are the means that God has given us seven in the Word of God that we can apply regularly to help us produce more fruit. Number one, the Word of God, Scriptures. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture is inspired by God. It's God-breathed, and it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Now, if someone who is a believer decides that, I really don't have time for the Word of God. I don't have time to spend uh, moments in it daily, weekly. I'm just too busy. They are, they, they are eliminating the major, the major means that God has given so that we might be taught, reproved, corrected, and trained to produce godly fruit. How, how can that happen when somebody ignores the Scriptures? The second thing is prayer. James 5.16, James talks about Elijah. He says, the prayer, the fervent prayer of a righteous man, Elijah, availed much. And that doesn't mean imputed righteousness. That means practical righteousness because we know Psalm 66.18 says, if you regard iniquity in your heart, I will not hear you. It's talking about Elijah walking, producing fruit, doing the things that are pleasing to God. His prayer avails much. And here's the, here's the key verse, I think, is Ephesians 3.16. Paul says, I'm praying for you, Ephesians. I'm praying that you be strengthened in the inner man by the Spirit with power so that Christ might be at home in your hearts. That's what he's saying. He's praying for them. How often do we pray for ourselves that way? God, strengthen me in the inner man. I want to do what's right today. I want to, I want to powerfully overcome the deeds of my flesh. I want to please you. Help me do that. I know you will. You've said you will. Do that. Do we pray that way for our children? Do we pray that way for one another? We'll pray for almost anything and everything, but I can't tell you how many times in my whole life as a pastor that I've heard people pray that verse for others in a group. Maybe no more than that in all my years of ministry. So the Word of God is a means. Prayer is a means. Body life in fellowship, Ephesians 5, 15 to 21, where it talks about the spirits filling us in corporate worship as we sing psalms and hymns to one another. That's a means of our sanctification, of fruit-bearing. Sitting under spiritually gifted pastor-teachers, Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, for the, who have been given those gifts for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Is it important for you to sit under godly pastoral preaching? Is that important to you? It needs to be. It's a means that God has given. In fact, you can listen to Bill's radio station. You can get it on the web. What is, what's the call sign, Bill? WJLU.org. 
And he has got a lot of good speakers and a lot of good music. One of his young men that works at the radio station, I, I assume Chris is still there, he was in the seminary class that I was teaching, the two, two classes last winter in Florida. And that's how I got to know Bill. But you, it, you don't even have to wait till Sunday morning. Listen to John Piper. Listen to Alistair Begg. Listen to John MacArthur. God has given pastor teachers a gift so that they might encourage and equip you so that you might produce more fruit. Participation at the Lord's table where you are exhorted by God to examine yourselves as you come. I wish we did it every week just so that we would have that time of examination before God to see where we are to evaluate ourselves before Him, to see what our fruit production is in the body. Membership in a body, a, a local body assembly that practices church discipline. That's one of God's means to keep us on track and to keep us bearing fruit. I want to be in a church that when I get off, some brother will come to me or sister and say, Dwight, what in the world is going on with you? I have people tell me, I don't want to go to church that, church that practices church discipline. Why? Well, because we're all sinners. How would you answer that? Yes, we're all sinners, but do we all practice sin? Do we all set a course of sin, and when some brother comes to get us off it, say, get out of my way, I'm continuing in sin? That's what church discipline's all about. We're all sinners saved by grace, but we're moving, as someone has said, we're climbing the mountain and we might slip and fall a few feet, but we don't fall all the way to the bottom again. We get back up and we keep going up the mountain towards Christ. Church discipline is one of God's means. And then also the seventh, submission to godly elders in a local church. You have godly elders here? I hope you know that you do. And I hope that you will go to them in time of need, that you will submit to them, that you will listen to them. God has appointed them to give watch for the flock. You need to be in a church with godly elders. So those are the means. God has given them. It's up to us, like the farmer, to apply the means to his crops. We can't get there. Here's, here's where we're going on the last point, the believer's responsibility in producing spiritual fruit. What must we do? There are some people today, especially among the grace movement guys, who say, don't do anything. You don't have to do anything. In fact, if you try to do something, you'll just screw it up. So you just let go and you let God. He'll do it all. Is that what Scripture says? Is that why Paul could say at the end of 2 Timothy in chapter 4, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the course. He knew he had a role to play. Yes, he would say in 1 Corinthians, uh, I did more than them all, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God working in me. But he knew he had a part to play. That's why he could say, I've fought a good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Can we say that? 
Can we say that? Forget this let go and let God stuff. We have a role to play. We are to be good soldiers. We have a battle to fight. We have armor to wear. We have the means that God has given us to produce fruit, and we don't even know whether we're genuine or not unless we are because there's a faith that is false. I thought about how to end this message to you today, and I want to go to Romans 12, 1 and 2. You don't have to turn there, and you should know these. I think uh, Dan mentioned it last week. I know Troy mentioned it in class today. It's a, it's a well-known verse. I urge you, therefore, brethren. It all begins here, I think. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Very early on in the Christian life, we're confronted with this verse. Paul says, because of his mercy to you, here's my challenge to you folks. This is what Paul's saying, not, not me. To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. We live in this body. We've been changed in the spiritual part of us in the inner man. But this body is our means of bearing fruit with our hands, with our eyes, with our mind, with our feet. This body is the means of serving Christ, of doing good deeds, of all the things that He's called us to do. We're to present this body early on to Christ belonging to Him, knowing that He's numbered our days. This is His body. It is His body to bear fruit unto godliness and righteousness which will be pleasing to Him, which will glorify Him. I heard a quote this week I got very caught up in since I'm older than a number of you, few of you here this morning. I got very caught up in the 75th anniversary of D-Day. Listening on the radio, listening on TV, seeing some of the sights with all of those graves. Omaha Beach where thousands on D-Day, thousands of young men, the average age being 18 and 19, were slaughtered on the beaches before they ever got to contact a German soldier. And that spoke to me. People who signed up, people who were drafted, who knew that when they did. Here's a quote I said that one of my friends sent me, who's a retired army guy. And here's the way the quote goes. Veterans are individuals who at one time in their lives wrote a blank check payable to the United States of America for an amount Blank check for an amount up to and including their lives. That says a lot, doesn't it? You just don't sign up for the military so you can get a pension. You sign up for the military knowing that tomorrow you could be sent into one of the hottest most despicable areas in the world and you might not come back. When I went to Vietnam, 
I had no idea that I would come back. Anne had no idea. And she had our first son, David, while I was in Vietnam. I never saw him until he was already walking. I missed that whole thing. But I came home. But 50-some thousand American soldiers and airmen and naval guys did not come home, and Marines. Their bodies are still somewhere in South Vietnam. Did they sign up for that? They signed up knowing that that could be a result. We are to present our bodies to Him as a living sacrifice for His purpose at the very beginning of our Christian experience. Have you done that this, this morning? Have you wrestled with what's in that verse? There's not going to be any fruit production unless you declare that this body is the tree upon which it is to grow. And it isn't mine, it's His. It belongs to Him. God, this body is yours. You've given it to me. You've saved me for a purpose. It's to, prov- to produce the fruit of Christ's likeness. To become like Him. Because there is a day coming when those, some will say, Lord, Lord, and He will say, I never knew you. You did not do the will of my Father. You practiced lawlessness. You practiced iniquity. You believe the facts, but that's all. That's all there was. One final little story. Ann and I, over the last 25 years that we're, we've been here, most of those years we walk together. And we walk in our neighborhood. And a lot of times it's the same basic path. So we notice things as we're walking. Over the years, for instance, we've seen a particular house in our neighborhood that all of a sudden you recognize, oh, the trees are dying. The grass is just solid dandelions. Um, The house needs painting. The shutters are falling off. And you notice those as you keep walking by this house every day. And you think, what's going on with the people that live there? And then all of a sudden you see a for sale sign go up. And you watch and you walk and within a month or two the house is sold and you keep walking. And all of a sudden what you notice is there's new trees. Shutters are repaired. The house has been painted. The grass is growing again and it's green and the dandelions are gone. And so you might ask, what what made the difference here? What made the difference was the family that lived in the house. House didn't do anything. Yard didn't do anything. But the people who came, the second family that moved into that house, were different. And they demonstrated it by the fruit of their hands and the work in that yard and on that home. Saving faith produces fruit. 
And the faith that doesn't save is a deception. There's nothing to show that that one is a genuine believer. If you want to pray with the elders this morning, if, if this God has spoken to your heart through his word this morning, the elders are going to be meeting up here afterwards. We would pray with you about whatever. But if God has spoken to you, you need to get some things right in your life. You need to commit your body to him. Come up, we'll pray with you right down here. Let's pray now. Father, thank you from the very depths of our heart for your saving work in our lives and for producing fruit to demonstrate proven character that we are truly yours. Thank you. Speak to each one of us according to our need now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.